Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. going to turn to Psalms chapter 15 two weeks ago I started a series called reserved parking reserved parking and uh, so we're going to go back there today last Sunday we had super church out here man I want to go back to Psalms chapter 15 I'm going to pick back up there today reserved parking last week we talked about it was residents and guests only today we're going to talk about rules for parking walk work and word Walk, work, and word. Psalms 15 was our springboard. We're going to read the whole chapter. We can do that. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, worketh righteousness, speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. He that doeth these things shall never be moved, hence the reserved parking uh, series. Amen. I want the Lord to help us today. Last week, and I'll recap just a little bit for those that may have not been here trying to understand where we're at, or those that have slept too many nights between two weeks ago already forgot where we've been. Amen. Let's pray today. Father, I come, Jesus, to you this morning. God, that you have to help us, Lord Jesus, in this house today. God, I need you, Lord, here. God, bring, Lord, every scattered mind, Lord Jesus, to the absolute, Lord, submission of your will and your spirit. Pray, God, that you have to help us, Lord, in the next few moments, Lord, to share something that God could be meaningful, Lord, to someone, Lord Jesus, that's sitting here, God, in this place this morning. These are words to live by, words to guide our lives by. will not fail to thank you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen, you may be seated. Rules for parking, walk, work, and word. As I said, to recap just a little bit this morning, David is writing this chapter 15 in response to the lack of people that were seeking God in his society as was described in chapter number 14. Chapter number 14, he speaks of his time, the environment in which he lived, the people that seemingly didn't believe in God. They weren't seeking God, which goes to reason because they didn't even believe in God. They were corrupt. They were vile. David denotes, David even simply con concluded that they were not, there were not any good men left. There just wasn't any good men left. And since the climate of that time was void of what we might call God seekers, David wanted to know then, God, I don't have no precedent set before me in my, my day. What does a God-seeker look like? 
he wanted to know a description of somebody that that who could abide in the tabernacle or who could dwell in the holy hill. And notably, whenever God shares his answer with David, uh, he shares with us, uh, the Bible says, when we look at the two questions that David asks, uh, when he's asking about who shall abide in thy tabernacle or who should dwell in thy holy hill, two questions that one relate to a temporary dwelling, one relate to a permanent dwelling of God, one pertains to somebody just being a guest, one pertains to one being a residence. And so when we understand this, in other words, David was just wanting to know what well, the, the capability, what, what's the capability in our lives of, of accessing God's presence, not just now here in the earth, but also then someday in heaven. And the Lord would uh, tell him, and as David would write with his pen inspired of the Holy Ghost, we come to understand that it's the same criteria, amen, for having a moment in God's presence now, for having a eternal residency in God's presence someday in heaven. As a matter of fact, a few of the highlights from a couple of weeks ago was this, is that access is granted to those who are who they appear to be. Access is granted to people who are who they appear to be. If you'll remember, the outside and the inside of the cup both being clean. Uh, the outside and the inside of the tomb, not, not there being any difference. Clean hands, if you remember, and a pure heart, as we've seen in another area in Psalms that grants us uh, ascending into the heel of the Lord. Secondly, we also looked at that if we expect to live as a resident of heaven someday, we best live as a person traveling in that direction right now. Amen. We better live as a person traveling in that direction right now. And then thirdly, abiding in the presence of God in time will someday translate into abounding in the presence of God in eternity. It's not that, uh, it's a bad idea to think that at the moment the trump's going to sound or on your deathbed you're going to prepare for heaven. Amen. We're making preparations right now. Amen. Preparations right now. And so David, he addresses all these questions to the Lord. And he goes straight to the source with his questions. And again, the responses that we received in the rest of the chapter, they're not second-tier information. They come straight, as we would say, from the horse's mouth. And David tells us then that we can reserve a spot in the presence of the Lord now, perhaps as a guest, as we walk as a pilgrim and a stranger in this earth below, but later as a resident, if we meet the requirements. If we meet the requirements, and if we do, he says, he that doeth these things shall never be moved, reserved parking. The Bible says in 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, the Bible says, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. This is very simple, very basic, but it's impossible to have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. It's, possible to it's impossible to have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, but it tells us if we walk in the light, as he is the light, then we will have fellowship with him. 
This is something very important, I think, as Christians. We need to understand that after I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, I live like I have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I know that's kind of like on the floor basic, but it is something that sometimes is largely overlooked and largely gone unpracticed. And after we receive the Holy Ghost, then we live like we have the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells that the Apostle Paul, during his journey of being on trial by several different people, uh, you know, he went with Festus, and there's Felix, and King Agrippa, and his wife, and finally Caesar. But as he's being on trial in the book of Acts, the Bible says that the King of Agrippa was in the area in which he was uh, uh he was uh, in prison, if you will, in house arrest. And so King Agrippa wanted to hear Paul's story. And Paul told his story to King Agrippa that was quite familiar with Jewish laws and Jewish ways. And he even told King Agrippa, he said, King Agrippa, everywhere that I've went, everywhere that I have gone, he said, I have been telling all the people some basic things that they needed to do. And this is found in Acts 26, verse 20. He, said, he says, I've been telling them that they need to repent, and that they need to turn to God, and that they need to do works meet for repentance. Jerusalem Bible says that last phrase like this, that they need to prove their change of heart by their deeds. There's a misunderstanding sometimes concerning that phrase, do works meet for repentance. In other words, meaning that you would do works in order to have the chance or the privilege of repentance, but that's incorrect. It's not what the scripture is relaying to us. The word meet in the Greek means comparable or suitable or worthy. It comes from an old word that, that is used for weighing. It denotes that which brings up the other end of the scales. That which brings up the other end of the scales. In other words, after you have repented, repentance in itself is something on one side of the scales. What happens when you have one item on one side of the scale? Bloop. Right? Repentance is one thing that is on one side of the scales. You have the scales like this. And so when he's talking about do works then meet for repentance or comparable to or suitable to repentance, he's telling us then you have some works and deeds in your life after you repented that should help balance out the scale. Balance out the scale. In other words, live your life in a comparable or suitable way to balance out what you repented. Another way of saying it is this, is that on one side of the scale you have repentance, on the other side of the scale you have your works, but they should be an equal of weight. Another way to say it is this, don't allow your repentance, your change of mind to weigh heavier than your deeds, your change of action. So we, we got repentance. That's kicked the scale up. But now it's we live out our life. We live out our life in that different direction. So I've had a change of mind through repentance, but now I live out my life with a change of action. I'm trying to balance the scale, if you will. Amen. Balance the scale in my life. It denotes a relationship. And so therefore, when we read in Psalms chapter 15, what follows in Psalms 15 from verse number 2 forward, if you will, is the balancing of the scales. It's the balancing of the scales with our initial experience with God. 
It is we've repented. We've been baptized in Jesus' name. We've been filled with the Holy Ghost. But now it's time for the balancing of the scale with the living of our life. Amen. With the living of our lives. And so David, when he approaches the Lord, rather than asking, how can I get in his presence? David is asking, who can get there? And God just simply shows David how a presence, a presence dweller acts. Someone say amen. amen. Look at verse 2 of Psalms 15. The Bible says, here's the Lord's response to David. Who can abide? Who can dwell in the holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness. And speak of the truth in his heart. I want to read it from the Jerusalem Bible. That's the Bible I'm reading through already for the next year. Amen. It says, the man whose way of life is blameless, who always does what is right, who speaks the truth from his heart. Now, we take that first phrase, he that walketh uprightly. That is not talking about, in a very literal sense, this does not mean a person who does not slump or have bad posture. Okay. Just, I'm covering all bases today, okay? I'm not talking about a person. If you got good posture, you'll stand in the presence of the Lord. Amen. That, that's not what it is at all. But when it speaks of one that is upright, it's speaking about somebody that is blameless in their way of life. The word walk many times in the scripture is not talking about a literal somebody walking. It's talking about their manner of life, the way that they live their life. Amen. As a matter of fact, this word uprightly in the word of God oftentimes means complete, perfect. You see it all the time in Leviticus translated as without blemish or spot. Other places translated sincerely. It means this. It is that which is complete in all its parts where no part is missing or is defective. When we go to New Testament scripture, we see this idea of blamelessness in 1 Timothy 3. And Titus 1. It's in these chapters that the Bible describes the office of a bishop and office of deacons and of elders uh, or even of their wives. And it gives a list of criteria, if you will, in order to function in those roles. And I want to point out to you that those roles, some of those are leadership roles and some of those are more servant-oriented roles. So this, what we boil this down to is this, that whether you are a leader or a servant, there is a certain element of blamelessness. A certain element of blamelessness, amen, that is a qualification, amen, in the life of an individual. Most of the time that's tilted toward a moral sense. But when we look at this, the word blameless in those instances literally means nothing to take hold upon. There must be nothing in our life that others can take hold of that could be an attack against the church or attack against God. Amen. The word is really a metaphor. It's taken from the idea of an expert and skillful, skillful boxer who defends every part of his body so well that it is impossible for his opponent to give one hit. He doesn't allow a handle to be left so his opponent to get a hand on him. That is the implication of blamelessness. Amen. Blameless, if you will, that the true, the true surfacing of blamelessness is nothing more. It's demonstrated by a track record of our behavior. Mm -hmm. We're had to have no, no moral or behavioral handles 
so to speak, that others can grab onto. Amen. There's a completeness, a sincerity in our way of life. Meaning that it should, it's not like a sewn up deal because we all are still in this flesh and there's going to be times we just don't get it right. But what it means is this, blameless, there should be less possibilities of blame. That's as basic as I can get it. There should be less possibilities that legitimate blame could be alleged against your life and your behavior on a regular basis. Such a person, might I say, is less likely to be chargeable with any lifestyle of sin. David says, the who, who shall abide, who? And the Lord says, one that walketh uprightly. Somebody that has less of a tendency of being able to be charged with not living a life that is in harmony with what I expect. Someone say amen. 1 Corinthians 5 and number 1. The, the apostle Paul here, he's given a report. He's writing to the Corinthian church and he says, and I've used this scripture many times for some episodes. It is a good scripture. One you might want to tuck in your back pocket, particularly those in leadership. It is reported, everybody see reported, commonly, that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. We have two scenarios here right here, folks. He's talking to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, mind you, and then he's talking about just regular Gentiles. He says it's reported commonly on one hand that we have this going on. On another hand, he says it's not so much as even name. What we have here are two different lines. We have a not blameless line, and one that is blameless, it's not so even as much name. There's no handle. There's nothing to grab onto concerning. You understand what I'm saying? And so this is reported commonly. Now, Paul here is no doubt getting some second-handed reports about the idea of fornication taking place. And you might ask the question, Brother McGee, if that's second-handed reports, how in the world can he trust those? Number one, this is reported commonly. Commonly to him. It's getting back to him. Maybe not at the same time. Maybe, maybe not by the same people. But it's reported commonly to him that there's some fornication that's going on. Someone say amen. Here's, the, and here's something we must consider. I use this, this. This is sound biblical wisdom. Amen. From God's word right here. Even if there wasn't outright fornication taking place. Several reports coming back that there were would still indicate to me as a man of God that there's something taking place that's a little shady. Huh? Even if they ain't flat out fornication, something's raising a flag. Uh-huh. That there's something going on that needs to be addressed. Someone say amen. Because even if they're not fornicating, if their actions can be interpreted, not by one, but several, reported commonly that there was, then there's something that needs to be addressed here. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 tells us about, we use, you've used this before, abstain from all appearance. What's the next words? Of evil. And in that same 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul doesn't just say abstain from all appearances of evil. He goes on to say, may the Lord your God 
preserve your body, soul, and spirit holy, blameless until the coming of the Lord. Amen. So see, there's a good connection here about keeping a preserved life of blamelessness, being blameless, and having no appearance of evil. Several years ago in this church, I, I was approached uh, by a person about another person in leadership here in this church uh, that's, that were doing something unbecoming as a Christian leader. At first, whenever I would receive a second-tier report like that, I don't do anything. I don't do anything. I just kind of took it back on my back molars and in my mind. Amen. And I didn't do anything with that second-hand information. Over a period of time, I had two other people approach me at two different times about the same person stating the same faulty action that this person was involving themselves in. None of the three knew about the other one coming to me and didn't know the subject matter. What do we have here? We have something being reported commonly. Now, that changes the ballgame for pastor. Didn't do anything with the first, but when I'm hearing this on a regular basis, even if it isn't outright what they said was going on, there's something going on. God told David, he says, people though that stand in my presence now and later, said they're people that walk upright. They're people that defend their life in me so well that they don't just leave handles sticking out there that people can grab a hold of and cast fault. No, this isn't a Christmas lesson, but this is okay. I'm feeling very good about it. Amen. And so there was a problem. We have a problem. It's reported commonly. And so they're, they're not living their lives sincerely to avoid blame. They left a portion of their life vulnerable to attack. Look, I'm going to take you to the Scriptures now because some of the best interpreters of Scripture is Scripture. We're going to let the Bible, I don't know if you ever do this, uh, it'd be great for you to do sometimes, let the Bible interpret the Bible. the Bible. The phrase is, he that walketh uprightly. Look at Psalms 84 and verse number 11. The Bible says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing. Let me interject this. No good thing. That includes his presence. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk up rightly. Look at Proverbs 2 and verse number 7. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He, speaking of God, is a buckler to them that walk up rightly. Look at this. Look at this, folks. A buckler... Translated from a Hebrew word that means a portable shield. I don't have a shield. Bishop does. A portable shield. A portable shield then, if you need it to defend this portion of your body, it's mobile. You can do that. If you need the side, it's mobile. It's portable. It's a portable shield. Not just that it can be carried, but it can be moved to defend various areas of a soldier's body. And so when we understand this, we see a little bit of a correlation whenever we walk uprightly before the Lord, he says, I will be a portable shield to you. I'll even aid you in keeping from any part of your body being undefended. I'll help you be blameless. If you put forth the attempt and the effort 
to live in such a way, I'll help you live like that. If if you you, you try to protect those areas of your life, he says, I'll come on board and I'll be a buckler. I'll be a portable shield to help you live the way that I need you to live. Whenever we attempt to live blameless, that provokes God to become a portable shield to us. It's very simple. If we put forth the effort, God will become the means. Amen. Amen. I've seen it time and time again. But God needs to know if there's just a little inkling of interest there just to live uprightly. We've said it over and over again. God told, uh, you know, the children of Israel at different times that the Lord is going to fight your battles. But that did not mean them to go over into the tent and get a lamb's leg and put their shield and their sword up in the tent and cross their legs and lean back and say, well, God's going to take care of it all. No, the interpretation of all that that we even see through Scripture is as you go out, as you start marching, as you head toward that direction, yes, I'll bring the ambushments, I'll bring the power, I'll bring the success, but you're going to have to do something. Live, amen, walk uprightly. Proverbs 10, 19, got several verses here. Just lie on the Bible to interpret the Bible. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely. Mm -hmm. He that walketh uprightly walketh confidently. Walketh in safety, walketh in assurance, walketh in a place of refuge when you walk uprightly. Proverbs 15, 21, folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom. But a man of understanding walketh uprightly. For our purposes this morning, a man that understands the rules for reserved parking. A man that understands that if he doeth these things, he shall never be moved. Is going to walk in a manner that corresponds to his understanding. walk in a manner that corresponds to his understanding. Why? Because he's balancing the scales. Proverbs 28, 18, it says whoso, Proverbs 28, 18, whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved. But he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. Let's go on. So he, he, the, the, the rules for parking, number one, he walketh upright. Number two, the phrase is, he worketh righteousness. He worketh righteousness, or who does, who always does what is right. He worketh righteousness. Jerusalem Bible might seem to be a little strong, but we'll touch on that. Always, who always does what is right. I mean, that would seem like in our Christian walk here below, that's a goal, but normally we fall short of that, right? But it's he that worketh righteousness. The word worketh means to do or make systematically or habitually, especially to practice. To to systematically do righteousness. Habitually do righteousness. To practice righteousness. Righteousness is also translated. I know I'm throwing a lot of definitions here, but it brings light to the scripture. Righteousness is also translated in the scriptures as just, right, justice, It's talking about conformity. Righteousness is conformity to an ethical and moral standard. Someone say amen. Amen. But always, Brother McGee, because the original significance of the root is that 
It means to be straight. Righteousness means the norm, the standard. A lot of times it was used talking about just weights and just balances and just measurements. You know, if people take a, a certain just weight to see if the scale is still true, reading true what it should read because you bring a little, uh, whatever, a gram of metal that you used to have in science, those different weights and measures that were standards, and that's a gram. You put that on there, and it weighed a gram, and you knew, well, the scale is good. I can weigh whatever I need to weigh now because it's true to the standard. It's true to the norm. Simply put, it just meant not deviating from the standard. Amen. And so David says, he says, one who is in his presence, God says, one who is in his presence has conformed to the standard, conformed to the norm. They've adopted the norm as their own. They've adopted the norm as their own. So how does this look through Scripture? Again, of the Bible interpreting itself, this man, these that are standing in the presence of God, worketh righteousness. Isaiah 64 and 6. First, let's look about our righteousness, the Bible says. All right? And this is probably where the change can come up to understand, well, you know, there's some days we do good, some days we don't. Well, in reality, our righteousness is horrific anyway. But, but let just keep this all in mind. We'll, we'll tie it together here. Isaiah 64 and 6, but we all, but we are all as unclean, as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, everybody say, that's mine, are as filthy rags. And we do all, and we all do fade. I can't get my words in the right order here today. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah lays our righteousness. Everybody says mine. Isaiah lays our righteousness in the dust. It's a far cry from being just. It's a far cry from being right. Uh, in Romans it says there is none righteous. No, not one. But being that our righteousness is insufficient. Perhaps that is why we see this reoccurring phrase in the Bible. And I'll share with you here very quickly. These reoccurring phrase in the Bible about we must put on righteousness. All times whenever you talk about righteousness through the scripture, it is something that is to be put on. Something that should be put on. Job even stated in Job 29, 14, he said, Job 29, 14, he said, I put on righteousness and it clothed. It clothed me. In other words, righteousness isn't some little patchwork that covers an area. Not just a little, you know, not like the little patches mom used to pull out of her uh, sewing kit, you know. It's hard on the knees of pants, you know. You crawled around when you was a kid and played cars. Now you sit on your bottom. I guess they're doing it through the rear end now, putting patches there rather than the knees. Playing video games, and you put them on the rear rather than on the knees. But nevertheless... There ain't no young people out here to even enjoy that. I'm sorry to just <laughs> insult everybody else that's sitting out here. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's not just a little patchwork that covers an area. Righteousness is a garment that clothes, that completely clothes the one wearing it. And, and godly righteousness isn't productive in ethics and then it's anemic and moral. It's not adequate in one area and not adequate in the other area. No, it's adequate in every area of our human lives if it's put on. If we are constantly clothed in his righteousness, 
then it's possible for our righteousness to always, huh? It's possible for our righteousness to always be doing right. But since the human will plays a factor, here is the gist of it. There are some days we put it on and there's some days we take it off. There are sometimes episodes we have it on, there's sometimes we're taking it off. Uh-huh. Ephesians 4:24, the Bible says, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In other words, he says the new man that in Ephesians he tells you to put off the old man and put on the new man. He said the new man that you put on has been created in righteousness and true holiness. It's been created just like God. Uh-huh. The new man we put on is after the similitude of God who is absolutely righteous and absolutely holy. Someone say amen. The new man righteousness that we put on does not deviate from the standard of God's righteousness. But we have unrighteous acts whenever we take off. Sometimes we put off and on the new man like a garment. There's days that we live more according to who we were more than who he says that we are. It's all about in the morning or whenever throughout the day if we're putting on or taking off righteousness. And that will help dictate whether or not we will deviate or not deviate. Amen. The Bible says, because my understanding of Scripture is Psalms, allowing it to talk to me, Psalms 145 and verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. The Lord is. And the new man was created after God. The new man was created after, this is just peace in Scripture with Scripture. The new man was created after God, and if the Lord is righteous in all of his ways, and the new man was created after God, then I should be, if I get that new man on, be righteous in all this is like A plus B equals C type stuff, okay? In all ways. And holy in all his works. I put a new man on that's patterned after God. That's patterned after the standard. That's patterned after the norm. A godly righteousness, and therefore a godly righteousness can be kept in my life. Paul said it like this. He said, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You're made the righteousness of God because you are in Christ. If it says, the Lord, who is it that's in the tabernacle? Who is it that, that can live in your presence now and live in that eternal bliss then? He says, it's those that, that, that work righteousness. What's that telling me? That I need to be constantly clothed. And have put on the righteousness of God. But again, everybody say me. The human will plays a role in all of this. The human will plays a role in all of this. It goes the reason if it can be put on that it could be taken off. Isaiah 59 and verse 17 says when it speaks of righteousness. For he put on righteousness as a breast. Ephesians even tells us that correlates with Ephesians 6 where it talks about the armor of God and one of the items that we should. And it, it tells us this, our responsibility you should put on is the breastplate, right, 
of righteousness that we should put on. Again, the unstated reality is it could be taken off or never be put on. It should be put on. But there's a decision that's made in that moment. There's a decision that's made. This morning, unrighteous acts don't result from a faulty breastplate. Unrighteous acts don't come about because there's a faulty breastplate. They happen because someone has discarded a piece of armor. Amen. And when this happens, listen to me very closely here. I have a point here I wish to make. When this happens, there are some unseen things that immediately become vulnerable. Uh huh. <laughs> you remember the other place in Psalms when we said, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And we said, Those that have clean hands, right, external, and pure heart, internal. Whenever you remove the breastplate, there are some unseen things that automatically become vulnerable. The breastplate being in that area that it is protecting all the vital organs heart, the lungs, yeah, all these liver, all these vital organs that are being protected. And so what I'm saying is this, we can't take off the breastplate of righteousness without it affecting the heart of the man. If I can state it just a little differently, lean in. We can't take off what we can see without it affecting what we can't see. That can have a lot of implications in just what I said. We can't take off what we can see without it having impact on what we can't see. Someone say amen. Rules then for reserved parking, you must walk uprightly. The walk must work, work righteousness. Thirdly, must speak the truth in his heart. Speaketh the truth in his heart. In other words, the words and professions of the mouth agree with the thoughts and the purposes of the heart. He is what he professes to be. For this man, standing in the presence of the Lord, what he says he is is one with what he is. Amen. Unlike the Pharisees who had discrepancies between their speech and their heart, the Bible says in Matthew 15, 8, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, right? And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Lord's response to David says, that's that's not how the people in my presence are. They don't have a flowery profession and a disengaged heart. They don't have a drawing close to me with lip service and then a heart that is running from me. He says, no people that are in my presence, what their lips say matches what their heart intends. What their heart intends. In other words, he's, he's boiling it all down here and there's other things that we'll look at in weeks to come, but he's boiling it all down here Presence dwellers basically lead a blameless life by doing what is right and speaking truth that's rooted in their heart. Amen. Someone say amen. Let's go. If we 
start doing the trace back, if they lead a blameless life by doing right and speaking truth that's in their heart, man, we can really take this really back to a heart issue. Amen. Take this back to a heart scenario. Amen. And so he's saying there is constant attention then, one that's found in his presence both now as a guest and then as a permanent dweller. There is a constant attention that these people are giving to their walk. They're giving to their work and they're giving to their word because in all three of those episodes it is he that walketh it's he that speaketh the truth it's he that worketh and you've heard me all the years that you've known me eth in all these meanings is he doesn't just walk but continues to walk he doesn't just speak but continues to speak he doesn't just work, but he continues to work. It's not like you do one justice of righteousness and that's it. No, there's a constant maintaining. There's a constant continuing to work of that righteousness. There's a constant speaking, if you will, of that truth. Amen. We're, we're not going to heaven someday and say, well, on such and such date, of such and such year, such and such service, I came to the Lord. That is not the sum total of it all, folks. It's not that we can mark a date on the calendar where we gave our lives to God. It's how many days past that initial date did you keep giving your life to God? It's Someone hear me? If somebody just doesn't, you know, have a, get born, they have a birthday, and they quit living. That just denotes when your life started. That just denotes when your life started. What about all the days from there until, until rapture, all the days from there until being caught away or until the moment of your death? I'm telling us today, it's more, we got to balance the scales. Thank God for the date on the calendar, but there needs to be some other days that can balance the scale. I had a changed mind, but I changed my action. I changed the way in which I lived. I worked righteousness. I spoke truth. I walked uprightly. In order to get good graces in God? No, but because he bought me, I lived in such a way that was pleasing to him. I did what was honoring to him and honorable to him. It's proof that I was born. Stand with me this morning. So you can take your finger and start pinning down through some of those others. And really, whenever you start looking through some of the rest of the list, you're going to find out that they're almost like subcategories to the three that we've covered today. About our walk and our working righteousness and the speaking of truth in our heart. Really, they just fall almost as subcategories in there, but... God thought that, you know what, this is important enough that even as a subcategory, I think I need to include this in the list. And you know what that tells me then as a man of God? Man, this might be a problematic area. Huh? A problematic area for those that are endeavoring to live in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah, if we can just bow our heads in this place this morning. Hallelujah. Folks, as I said, I would believe it would be any of our desires to make heaven home someday. Make heaven our home someday. 
A lot of that is predicated upon how we... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.